This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abrus. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 4, Chapter 10. Lulled in the countless chambers of the brain, our thoughts are linked by many a hidden chain. Awake but one, and lo, what myriads rise! Each stamps its image as the other flies. Pleasures of Memory Emily pursued her journey without any accident along the plains of Languedoc towards the northwest, and on this her return to Tholso, which she had last left with Madame Montoni, she thought much on the melancholy fate of her aunt, who, but for her own imprudence, might now have been living in happiness there. Montoni, too, often rose to her fancy, such as she had seen him in his days of triumph, bold, spirited, and commanding, such also as she had since beheld him in his days of vengeance. And now only a few short months had passed, and he had no longer the power or the will to afflict. He had become a clod of earth, and his life was vanished like a shadow. Emily could have wept at his fate, had she not remembered his crimes, for that of her unfortunate aunt she did weep, and all sense of her errors was overcome by the recollection of her misfortunes. Other thoughts and other emotions succeeded, as Emily drew near the well-known scenes of her early love, and considered that Valancourt was lost to her and to himself for ever. At length she came to the brow of the hill whence, on her departure for Italy, she had given a farewell look to this beloved landscape, amongst whose woods and fields she had so often walked with Valancourt and where he was then to inhabit when she would be far far away she saw once more that chain of the pyrenees which overlooked la vallee rising like faint clouds on the horizon there too is gascony extended at their feet said she oh my father my mother and there too is the garonne she added drying the tears that obscured her sight, and Tholos, and my aunt's mansion, and the groves in her garden. Oh, my friends, are you all lost to me? Must I never, never see you more? Tears rushed again to her eyes, and she continued to weep, till an abrupt turn in the road had nearly occasioned the carriage to overset, when looking up she perceived another part of the well-known scene around Tholos, and all the reflections and anticipations which she had suffered at that moment when she bade it last adieu came with recollected force to her heart she remembered how anxiously she had looked forward to the futurity which was to decide her happiness concerning valancourt and what depressing fears had assailed her the very words she had uttered as she withdrew her last look from the prospect came to her memory. Could I but be certain, she had then said, that I should ever return and that Valancourt would still live for me, I should go in peace. 
now that futurity so anxiously anticipated was arrived she was returned but what a dreary blank appeared valancourt no longer lived for her she had no longer even the melancholy satisfaction of contemplating his image in her heart for he was no longer the same valancourt she had cherished there the solace of many a mournful hour the animating friend that had enabled her to bear up against the oppression of montoni the distant hope that had beamed over her gloomy prospect on perceiving this beloved idea to be an illusion of her own creation valancourt seemed to be annihilated and her soul sickened at the blank that remained his marriage with a rival even his death she thought she could have endured with more fortitude than this discovery for then amidst all her grief she could have looked in secret upon the image of goodness which her fancy had drawn of him and comfort would have mingled with her suffering drying her tears she looked once more upon the landscape which had excited them and perceived that she was passing the very bank where she had taken leave of valancourt on the morning of her departure from tholoz and she now saw him through her returning tears such as he had appeared when she looked from the carriage to give him a last adieu saw him leaning mournfully against the high trees and remembered the fixed look of mingled tenderness and anguish with which he had then regarded her this recollection was too much for her heart and she sunk back in the carriage nor once looked up till it stopped at the gates of what was now her own mansion these being opened and by the servant to whose care the chateau had been entrusted the carriage drove into the court where alighting she hastily passed through the great hall now silent and solitary to a large oak parlour the common sitting-room of the late madame montoni where instead of being received by monsieur cunel she found a letter from him informing her that business of consequence had obliged him to leave tholoz two days before emily was upon the whole not sorry to be spared his presence since his abrupt departure appeared to indicate the same indifference with which he had formerly regarded her this letter informed her also of the progress he had made in the settlement of her affairs and concluded with directions concerning the forms of some business which remained for her to transact but monsieur cunel's unkindness did not long occupy her thoughts which returned the remembrance of the persons she had been accustomed to see in this mansion and chiefly of the ill-guided and unfortunate madame montoni in the room where she now sat she had breakfasted with her on the morning of their departure for italy and the view of it brought most forcibly to her recollection all she had herself suffered at that time and the many gay expectations which her aunt had formed respecting the journey before her while emily's mind was thus engaged her eyes wandered unconsciously to a large window that looked upon the garden and here new memorials of the past spoke to her heart for she saw extended before her the very avenue in which she had parted with valancourt on the eve of her journey and all the anxiety the tender interest he had shown concerning her future happiness his earnest remonstrances against her committing herself to the power of montoni and the truth of his affection came afresh to her memory 
At this moment it appeared almost impossible that Valancourt could have become unworthy of her regard, and she doubted all that she had lately heard to his disadvantage, and even his own words which had confirmed Count de Villefort's report of him. Overcome by the recollections which the view of this avenue occasioned, she turned abruptly from the window and sunk into a chair beside it, where she sat given up to grief till the entrance of Annette with coffee aroused her. "'Dear madam, how melancholy this place looks now,' said Annette. "'To what it used to do. It is dismal coming home, when there is nobody to welcome one.' This was not the moment in which Emily could bear the remark. Her tears fell again, and as soon as she had taken the coffee, she retired to her apartment, where she endeavoured to repose her fatigued spirits. But busy memory would still supply her with the visions of former times. She saw Valancourt interesting and benevolent, as he had been wont to appear in the days of their early love, and amidst the scenes where she had believed that they should sometimes pass their years together. But at length sleep closed these afflicting scenes from her view. On the following morning serious occupation recovered her from such melancholy reflections, for being desirous of quitting Tholoz and of hastening on to La Valley, she made some inquiries into the condition of the estate and immediately dispatched a part of the necessary business concerning it, according to the directions of Monsieur Cunel. It required a strong effort to abstract her thoughts from other interests sufficiently to attend to this, but she was rewarded for her exertions by again experiencing that employment is the surest antidote to sorrow. This day was devoted entirely to business, and among other concerns she employed means to learn the situation of all her poor tenants, that she might relieve their wants or confirm their comforts. In the evening her spirits were so much strengthened that she thought she could bear to visit the gardens where she had so often walked with Valancourt, and knowing that if she delayed to do so their scenes would only affect her the more whenever they should be viewed she took advantage of the present state of her mind and entered them passing hastily the gate leading from the court into the gardens she hurried up the great avenue scarcely permitting her memory to dwell for a moment on the circumstance of her having here parted with valancourt and soon quitted this for other walks less interesting to her heart these brought her at length to the flight of steps that led from the lower garden to the terrace, on seeing which she became agitated and hesitated whether to ascend, but her resolution returning, she proceeded. "'Ah!' said Emily, as she ascended, "'these are the same high trees that used to wave over the terrace, and these the same flowery thickets, the liburnum, the wild rose, and the serinthe, which were wont to grow beneath them.' Ah, and there, too, on that bank are the very plants which Valancourt so carefully reared. Oh, when last I saw them! She checked the thought, but could not restrain her tears, and after walking slowly on for a few moments, her agitation upon the view of this well-known scene increased so much that she was obliged to stop and lean upon the wall of the terrace. It was a mild and beautiful evening. The sun was setting over the extensive landscape, to which his beams, sloping from beneath a dark cloud that overhung the west, 
gave rich and partial colouring, and touched the tufted summits of the grooves that rose from the garden below with a yellow gleam. Emily and Valancourt had often admired together this scene at the same hour, and it was exactly on this spot that, on the night preceding her departure for Italy, she had listened to his remonstrances against the journey, and to the pleadings of passionate affection. Some observations which she made on the landscape brought this to her remembrance, and with it all the minute particulars of that conversation, the alarming doubts he had expressed concerning Montoni, doubts which had since been fatally confirmed, the reasons and entreaties he had employed to prevail with her to consent to an immediate marriage, the tenderness of his love, the paroxysms of this grief, and the conviction that he had repeatedly expressed that they should never meet again in happiness. All these circumstances rose afresh to her mind, and awakened the various emotions she had then suffered. Her tenderness for Valancourt became as powerful as in the moments when she thought that she was parting with him and happiness together, and when the strength of her mind had enabled her to triumph over present suffering, rather than to deserve the reproach of her conscience by engaging in a clandestine marriage. Alas, said Emily, as these recollections came to her mind, and what have I gained by the fortitude I then practised? Am I happy now? He said we should meet no more in happiness, but, oh, he little thought of his own misconduct would separate us and lead to the very evil he then dreaded. Her reflections increased her anguish, while she was compelled to acknowledge that the fortitude she had formerly exerted, if it had not conducted her to happiness, had saved her from irretrievable misfortune from Valancourt himself. But in these moments she could not congratulate herself on the prudence that had saved her. She could only lament, with bitterest anguish, the circumstances which had conspired to betray Valancourt into a course of life so different from that which the virtues, the tastes, and the pursuits of his early years had promised. But she still loved him too well to believe that his heart was even now depraved, though his conduct had been criminal. An observation which had fallen from Monsieur St. Aubert more than once now occurred to her. This young man, said he, speaking of Valancourt, has never been at Paris, a remark that had surprised her at the time it was uttered, but which she now understood, and she exclaimed sorrowfully, Oh, Valancourt, if such a friend as my father had been with you at Paris, your noble, ingenious nature would not have fallen. The sun was now set, and recalling her thoughts from their melancholy subject, she continued her walk, for the pensive shade of twilight was pleasing to her and the nightingales from the surrounding groves began to answer each other in the long-drawn, plaintive note which always touched her heart, while all the fragrance of the flowery thickets that bounded the terrace was awakened by the cool evening air, which floated so lightly among their leaves, that they scarcely trembled as it passed. Emily came at length to the steps of the pavilion that terminated the terrace and where her last interview with Valancourt before her departure from Toulouse had so unexpectedly taken place. The door was now shut, and she trembled, while she hesitated whether to open it, 
but her wish to see again a place which had been the chief scene of her former happiness at length overcoming her reluctance to encounter the painful regret it would renew she entered the room was obscured by a melancholy shade but through the open lattices darkened by the hanging foliage of the vines appeared the dusky landscape the garonne reflecting the evening light and the west still glowing a chair was placed near one of the balconies as if some person had been sitting there but the other furniture of the pavilion remained exactly as usual and emily thought it looked as if it had not once been moved since she set out for italy the silent and deserted air of the place added solemnity to her emotions for she had heard only the low whisper of the breeze as it shook the leaves of the vines and the very faint murmur of the garonne she seated herself in a chair near the lattice and yielded to the sadness of her heart while she recollected the circumstances of her parting interview with valancourt on the spot it was here too that she had passed some of the happiest hours of her life with him when her aunt favoured the connection for here she had often sat and worked while he conversed or read and she now well remembered with what discriminating judgment with what tempered energy he used to repeat some of the sublimest passages of their favourite authors how often he would pause to admire with her their excellence and with what tender delight he would listen to her remarks and correct her taste and is it possible said emily as these recollections returned is it possible that a mind so susceptible of whatever is grand and beautiful could stoop to low pursuits and be subdued by frivolous temptations she remembered how often she had seen the sudden tear start in his eye and had heard his voice tremble with emotion while he related any great or benevolent action or repeated a sentiment of the same character and such a mind said she such a heart were to be sacrificed to the habits of a great city these recollections becoming too painful to be endured she abruptly left the pavilion and anxious to escape from the memorials of her departed happiness returned towards the chateau as she passed along the terrace she perceived a person walking with a slow step and a dejected air under the trees at some distance the twilight which was now deep would not allow her to distinguish who it was and she imagined it to be one of the servants till the sound of her steps seeming to reach him he turned half round and she thought she saw valancourt whoever it was he instantly struck among the thickets on the left and disappeared while emily her eyes fixed on the place whence he had vanished and her frame trembling so excessively that she could scarcely support herself remained for some moments unable to quit the spot and scarcely conscious of existence with her recollection her strength returned and she hurried toward the house where she did not venture to inquire who had been in the gardens lest she should betray her emotion and she sat down alone endeavouring to recollect the figure air and features of the person she had just seen her view of him however had been so transient and the gloom had rendered it so imperfect that she could remember nothing with exactness yet the general appearance of his figure and his 
abrupt departure made her still believe that this person was Valancourt. Sometimes, indeed, she thought that her fancy, which had been occupied by the idea of him, had suggested his image to her uncertain sight. But this conjecture was fleeting. If it was himself whom she had seen, she wondered much that he should be at Tholos, and more how he had gained admittance into the garden. But as often as her impatience prompted her to inquire whether any stranger had been admitted, she was restrained by any unwillingness to betray her doubts, and the evening was passed in anxious conjecture and in efforts to dismiss the subject from her thoughts. But these endeavours were ineffectual, and a thousand inconsistent emotions assailed her, whenever she fancied that Valancourt might be near her. Now she dreaded it to be true, and now she feared it to be false, and while she constantly tried to persuade herself that she wished the person whom she had seen might not be Valancourt, her heart as constantly contradicted her reason. The following day was occupied by the visits of several neighbouring families, formerly intimate with Madame Montoni, who came to condole with Emily on her death, to congratulate her upon the acquisition of these estates, and to inquire about Montoni, and concerning the strange reports they had heard of her own situation, all which was done with the utmost decorum, and the visitors departed with as much composure as they had arrived. Emily was wearied by these formalities, and disgusted by the subservient manners of many persons, who had thought her scarcely worthy of common attention, while she was believed to be a dependent on Madame Montoni. Surely, said she, there is some magic in wealth, which can thus make persons pay their court to it, when it does not even benefit themselves. How strange it is that a fool or a knave with riches should be treated with more respect by the world than a good man or a wise man in poverty. It was evening before she was left alone, and she then wished to have refreshed her spirits in the free air of her garden, but she feared to go thither, lest she should meet again the person whom she had seen on the preceding night, and he should prove to be Valancourt. The suspense and anxiety she suffered on this subject she found all her efforts unable to control, and her secret wish to see Valancourt once more, though unseen by him, powerfully prompted her to go, but prudence and a delicate pride restrained her, and she determined to avoid the possibility of throwing herself in his way by forbearing to visit the gardens for several days. When after near a week she again ventured thither, she made Annette her companion, and confined her walk to the lower grounds, but often started, as the leaves rustled in the breeze, imagining that some person was among the thickets, and at the turn of every alley she looked forward with apprehensive expectation. She pursued her walk thoughtfully and silently, for her agitation would not suffer her to converse with Annette, to whom, however, thought and silence were so intolerable that she did not scruple at length to talk to her mistress. "'Dear madam,' said she, "'why do you start so? One would think you knew what has happened.' "'What has happened?' said Emily in a faltering voice, and trying to command her emotion. "'The night before last, you know, madam?' "'I know nothing, Annette,' replied her lady in a more hurried voice. "'The night before last, madam?' There was a robber in the garden. A robber? 
said Emily, in an eager yet doubting tone. I suppose he was a robber, madam. What else could he be? Where did you see him, Annette? rejoined Emily, looking around her, and turning back towards the chateau. It was not I that saw him, madam. It was Jean the gardener. It was twelve o'clock at night, and as he was coming across the court to go to the back into the house, what should he see but somebody walking in the avenue that fronts the garden gate? So with that Jean guessed how it was, and he went into the house for his gun. His gun? exclaimed Emily. Yes, madam, his gun, and then he came out into the court to watch him. Presently he sees him come slowly down the avenue, and lean over the garden gate, and look up at the house for a long time. And I warrant he examined it well, and settled what window he should break in at. But the gun, said Emily, the gun. Yes, madam, all in good time. Presently Jean says the robber opened the gate and was coming into the court, and then he thought proper to ask him his business, so he called out again, and bade him say who he was and what he wanted. But the man would do neither, but turned upon his heel and passed into the garden again. Jean knew then well enough how it was, and so he fired after him. Fired? exclaimed Emily. Yes, madam, fired off his gun. But, holy virgin, what makes you look so pale, madam? The man was not killed, I dare say, but if he was, his comrades carried him off. For when Jean went in the morning to look for the body, it was gone, and nothing to be seen but a track of blood on the ground. Jean followed it, that he might find out where the man got into the garden, but it was lost in the grass, and... Annette was interrupted, for Emily's spirits died away, and she would have fallen to the ground if the girl had not caught her, and supported her to a bench close to them. When, after a long absence, her senses returned, Emily desired to be led to her apartment, and though she trembled with anxiety to inquire further on the subject of her alarm, she found herself too ill at present to dare the intelligence which it was possible she might receive of Valancourt. Having dismissed Annette, that she might weep and think at liberty, she endeavoured to recollect the exact air of the person whom she had seen on the terrace, and still her fancy gave her the figure of Valancourt. She had indeed scarcely a doubt that it was he whom she had seen, and at whom the gardener had fired, for the manner of the latter person as described by Annette was not that of a robber, nor did it appear probable that a robber would have come alone to break into a house so spacious as this. When Emily thought herself sufficiently recovered to listen to what Jean might have to relate, she sent for him, but he could inform her of no circumstance that might lead to a knowledge of the person who had been shot, or of the consequence of the wound and after severely reprimanding him for having fired with bullets, and ordering diligent inquiry to be made in the neighbourhood for the discovery of the wounded person, she dismissed him, and herself remained in the same state of terrible suspense. All the tenderness she had ever felt for Valancourt was recalled by the sense of his danger, and the more she considered the subject, the more her conviction strengthened that it was he who had visited the gardens, for the purpose of soothing the misery of disappointed affection amidst the scenes of his former happiness. "'Dear madam,' said Annette, when she returned, "'I never saw you so affected before. I dare say the man is not killed. 
Emily shuddered, and lamented bitterly the rashness of the gardener in having fired. "'I knew you would be angry enough about that, madam, or I should have told you before. And he knew so, too, for, says he, Annette, say nothing about this to my lady. She lies on the other side of the house, so did not hear the gun, perhaps. But she would be angry with me if she knew, seeing there is blood. But then, says he, how is one to keep the garden clear, if one is afraid to fire at a robber when one sees him? No more of this, said Emily. Pray leave me. Annette obeyed, and Emily returned to the agonizing considerations that had assailed her before but which she at length endeavoured to soothe by a new remark. If the stranger was Valancourt, it was certain he had come alone, and it appeared, therefore, that he had been able to quit the gardens without assistance, a circumstance which did not seem probable had his wound been dangerous. With this consideration, she endeavoured to support herself during the inquiries that were making by her servants in the neighbourhood, but day after day came and still closed in uncertainty concerning this affair and emily suffering in silence at length drooped and sunk under the pressure of her anxiety she was attacked by a slow fever and when she yielded to the persuasion of annette to send for medical advice the physicians prescribed little beside air gentle exercise and amusement but how was this last to be obtained she, however, endeavoured to abstract her thoughts from the subject of her anxiety by employing them in promoting that happiness in others which she had lost herself, and when the evening was fine she usually took an airing, including in her ride the cottages of some of her tenants, on whose condition she made such observations as often enabled her unasked to fulfil their wishes. Her indisposition and the business she engaged in relative to this estate had already protracted her stay at Tholoze, beyond the period she had formerly fixed for her departure to La Vallée, and now she was unwilling to leave the only place where it seemed possible that certainty could be obtained on the subject of her distress. But the time was come when her presence was necessary at La Vallée. A letter from the Lady Blanche now informing her that the Count and herself, being then at the chateau of the Baron St. Foy, purposed to visit her at La Vallée on their way home, as soon as they should be informed of her arrival there. Blanche added that they made this visit with the hope of inducing her to return with them to chateau le Blanc. Emily, having replied to the letter of her friend, and said that she should be at La Vallée in a few days, made hasty preparations for the journey and in thus leaving Tholoz, endeavoured to support herself with a belief that, if any fatal accident had happened to Valancourt, she must in this interval have heard of it. On the evening before her departure, she went to take leave of the terrace and the pavilion. The day had been sultry, but a light shower that fell just before sunset had cooled the air, and given that soft verdure to the woods and pastures which is so refreshing to the eye, while the raindrops, still trembling on the shrubs, glittered in the last yellow gleam that lighted up the scene, and the air was filled with fragrance exhaled by the late shower from herbs and flowers and from the earth itself. But the lovely prospect which Emily beheld from the terrace was no longer viewed by her with delight. 
she sighed deeply as her eye wandered over it and her spirits were in a state of such dejection that she could not think of her approaching return to la valley without tears and seemed to mourn again the death of her father as if it had been an event of yesterday having reached the pavilion she seated herself at the open lattice and while her eyes settled on the distant mountains that overlooked gascony still gleaming on the horizon though the sun had now left the plains below alas said she i return to your long-lost scenes but shall meet no more the parents that were wont to render them delightful no more shall see the smile of welcome or hear the well-known voice of fondness all will now be cold and silent in what was once my happy home tears stole down her cheek as the remembrance of what that home had been returned to her but after indulging her sorrow for some time she checked it accusing herself of ingratitude in forgetting the friends that she possessed while she lamented those that were departed and she at length left the pavilion and the terrace without having observed a shadow of valancourt or of any other person End of Volume 4, Chapter 10